This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now because you're not only our Father, Lord, you're our teacher. And we're all here waiting to hear what you will speak to us this morning. So speak, Lord. Your servants are hearing. In Jesus' name, amen. If you turn in your Bibles, we're going to cover a section here in Matthew 21, which is uh, one of the several sections where the Lord Jesus is challenged in Matthew 21, 23. Matthew 21, 23 through 27 is the portion for this morning. So please follow along as I read that. And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, by what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I in like wise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Whence was it, from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, why did you not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, we cannot tell. And he said unto them, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Now, verse 23 tells us that Jesus went right into the temple that morning. But what's interesting here is that we know from the a verse above there, from verse 18, he was hungry. He was hungry that morning. And we know that when he was hungry in verse 18, that he had come to a fig tree and he was hoping to, to find some figs, but he did not. So when he comes into the temple, he's still hungry. And what's interesting here is that in his state of hunger, when he was looking so much for those figs to eat, 
that when in that state of hunger, he did not put eating as a higher priority over the people. In other words, it doesn't say, I'm hungry. He didn't say, it doesn't say that he said, I'm hungry, I need to eat first, and then I'm gonna go teach the people. That's not what he did. That's not what he did. He was still hungry, but teaching the people was more important to him than eating. Like Job, who said that the word of God was more important to him than food itself in Job 23.12. Job 23.12, Job said, neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. See, Job said that he valued, he esteemed, he rated the word of God higher than food. He did, and Job did not call, it's interesting what Job called the word of God, we, 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 the Bible. Job did not call the Bible or the word of God. He didn't, call, he didn't call it at this point the word of God. He called it the words of his mouth, the words of his mouth. That shows how closely Job saw the link between the word of God and God himself. To call the Bible, if we were to, for us to call the Bible the words of his mouth, which is what Job called this book, it shows how closely Job has seen the Bible to God. Job saw the Bible as close to God as Moses saw the Bible when Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 8.3, Deuteronomy 8.3, that God humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knowest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. So when Job calls the Bible the words of his mouth, and Moses calls the Bible the words that proceed out of the mouth of the Lord, Job and Moses are not saying that the Bible came from the hands of God as a book that is passed from God's hands to our hands. Job and Moses are saying that the Bible was from the very mouth of God, and in fact, Job was very specific about what part of the mouth the Bible comes from God when he says in Job 23.12, Job 23.12, he says the commandment of his lips. He says his lips. The Bible is not portrayed here as coming from the hands of God. Oh no, the Bible is much more personal than that. The Bible is coming from the lips of God. Now, if the Bible was portrayed here as coming from the hands of God, then the picture is that God handed the Bible to us, he hands the Bible to us, and we would see ourselves in a symbolic sense as reaching out our hand to receive the Bible from God's hand. And you receive many things with your hands. You shake hands with people, people give you things into your hands, and that's taking from their hand to your hand. But Job and Moses are not painting this picture for us, 
of a transfer by hands. Job and Moses are talking about receiving from the lips of God the Bible as their life, as Job put in Job 23, 12, more than my necessary food, as Moses put it in Deuteronomy 3, Deuteronomy 3, man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. So when both Job and Moses are talking about receiving the Bible from the mouth of God, from the lips of God, so that man could live, they're not talking about, as is so commonly said, from God's mouth to man's ears. They're not talking about man receiving in his ears the Bible from God's mouth, because when Job and Moses are talking about the Bible being life and coming from God's mouth, they are referring back to what happened to man when man got life originally, which was in Genesis 2-7, Genesis 2-7, where it says, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That was God's mouth, that was God's lips breathing into man. If I had said to my wife, I have something I wanna communicate to you, and the only way I can communicate to you is with my lips, she would know she was gonna get a big kiss. And when Job and Moses talk about the Bible as being the Genesis 2-7 life from the lips of God, they're saying to us that the Bible is the kiss of God. In Genesis 2-7, God kissed life into man. In Deuteronomy 8.3, through the Bible, God kisses life into man. Now, we've all heard the term, the kiss of death. Where did that come from, the kiss of death? Well, the kiss of death refers back to Judas. Judas Iscariot, when he kissed Christ into death by the betrayal, that was the kiss of Judas in Luke 22.47, Luke 22.47, where it says, and while he yet spake, Behold, the multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the 12, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? See, the kiss of Judas was the classic kiss of death because from that encounter with Judas, where that encounter was a kiss, death followed for Christ. What God gave to man in Genesis 2-7 was the kiss of life. We call it a kiss of life because from that encounter, which was in the form of a kiss, life followed for man. What Job and Moses are telling us in Job 20-12 and Deuteronomy 8-3, what Job and Moses are telling us is that the Bible is God's kiss of life, this book is God's kiss of life. We can call the Bible the kiss of life because from an encounter with the Bible, life follows. As um, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.23, 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So just as new life comes from being born, so new life comes from being born again. And when we sit down with the Bible, 
a good prayer for us can be, I open up this book, Lord, kiss me. Kiss me with your kiss of life. What would it be like if we were to put on the cover of our Bible, the kiss of life? And under that title of kiss of life, you put Deuteronomy 8.3, Deuteronomy 8.3, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. And you put under that title for your Bible, kiss of life, Job 23.12, Job 23.12, the commandments of his lips. What would it be like if you started to call the Bible the kiss of life? What would it be like if when you left your house today to come to church, you said, wait a minute, I have to get my kiss of life. And you meant you're gonna go get your Bible. What would it be like if I said to you this morning, please open your kiss of life to John 3.16? Think I'll do that. We should be doing that just for a day. Call the Bible the kiss of life and see how calling the Bible the kiss of life changes our view of the Bible as seeing the Bible as our life coming from the lips of God. So when Moses said in Deuteronomy 8.3, Deuteronomy 8.3, he says, man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God doth man live. The Hebrew word for mouth is peh. That's the Hebrew word for mouth. It comes from a Hebrew root, pa'ah. Pa'ah means to blow. It means to blow. So the mouth in Hebrew is seen as blowing out breath. That's how it's pictured in Hebrew. And so the picture of the Bible is God blowing out into man his breath, his breath of life. The fact that Genesis 2-7 says the Lord breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul, the Hebrew word for breath there, breath is neshama, neshama which means a puff. And that's why the Bible is called in 2 Timothy 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16, that says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Greek word there used for inspiration is noustos. It's theonoustos, the inspiration from God. But the word inspiration is noustos, from which we get our word pneumatic as in a pneumatic hammer, a pneumatic drill, meaning that it's driven by air, driven by air. So what 2 Timothy 3.16 is saying is that all scripture is by inspiration of God. It means that all scripture is driven by God's breath. It's driven by the breath from his lips, which again tells us that the Bible is God's kiss of life. So in verse 23, we see that Christ is now in the temple, he's in the temple now, and he's hungry, he's in the temple, but the word of God is more important to him than food, so he's teaching, he's teaching in the temple. And Christ had said already in verse 13 above, he said, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Prayer, he said. But what he's doing here is not praying, he's teaching. So from his teaching in the temple, we see that the temple was both a place of prayer and a place of teaching. Both teaching and prayer are the lifeblood of a church. That's the lifeblood of a church. The church, and in the church, teaching should not crowd out prayer. And in a church, prayer should not crowd out teaching because teaching and prayer are both the lifeblood of a church. 
And that's what the apostles said that they were going to give themselves to in Acts 6.4, Acts 6.4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The ministry of the word is teaching and preaching. You know, Billy Graham at his crusades, he would stand in the pulpit and he would teach and he would preach and he would give his message. And then at the end, he would invite the people to get up out of their seats and to come forward to the pulpit to receive Christ. And then he would not sit down, which most people did. He would not sit down. The classic picture of Billy Graham was of him remaining in the pulpit like this or like this, however he did it, you know, with his hands clasped and praying. And the temple was for teaching and prayer and the church is for teaching and prayer. And when in the future, the temple in Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt, which it will be, and Jerusalem will become the capital of the world, then all the people of the world will come as tourists to Jerusalem. And when they do that, when they will do that, they will be saying the words of Isaiah 2.3, Isaiah 2.3, this will be the time of the fulfillment of Isaiah 2.3, where it says, and many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. That's the mountain that Jerusalem is built on, it's called Zion. The mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that's the temple. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So when that happens, when that prophecy happens in Isaiah 2-3, tourists will not be coming to Israel because Tel Aviv is the gay capital of the world. When Isaiah 2-3 happens, tourists will not be coming to Israel to see the ancient sites of the Bible. When that happens, tourists will be coming to Israel, to Jerusalem, for what they are not coming there today for. When Isaiah 2-3 happens, tourists from all over the world will be coming to Israel, to the temple in Jerusalem, so that they can change their lives, so that they can walk with God. When Isaiah 2-3 happens, tourists from all over the world will be coming to the temple in Jerusalem to be taught. They'll be coming to receive teaching, to learn who is Jesus Christ as God, to learn what is the will of God for my life, to learn how can I change my life to walk with God, to learn how can I repent of my sins so that I can draw closer to God. That will be the drawing card for all the people of the world to come as tourists to Jerusalem. And they'll learn all of that in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. So that the scene we see here now in verse 23, where it says in verse 23, he was coming to the temple, he was teaching. That's just a little scene of what it's a little foretaste of what Jerusalem, of what the temple, rebuilt temple, is gonna be in Isaiah 2-3 when it happens. Jerusalem will become the place that it is talked about in Psalm 48, Psalm 48, one through 10 where it says in Psalm 48, one through 10, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth 
is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. But before that happens, before that happens, where we are right now, it's a hold on to your hat time. Because Jerusalem, before Jerusalem becomes the Psalm 48-2, joy of the whole earth, we are in store for Jerusalem to become the exact opposite, for Jerusalem to become the Zechariah 12.2 Jerusalem, Zechariah 12.2, which says, behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people, all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the earth, people of the earth be gathered together against it. Psalm 48.2, the joy of the whole earth, where people will flock there to learn about God. First Jerusalem will become the Zechariah 12.2 and 3, cup of trembling unto all people and burdensome stone unto all people. Okay, now we are in uh, verse 23 here. And the start of this statement in verse 23, it looks so good. I mean, if you just kind of dream on a little bit, daydream and sort of cut the sentence where it says, and when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, and just cut it there, just cut it there. If we could just stop that sentence right there, right where it says said, and if we just kind of, write it the way we would like it to sound. If we could just write the rest of the history ourselves, what would we write? I mean, when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him, and if only we could just write that they said the words of John 1.45. If this could be the way it was, where they came into the temple and they said, John 1.45, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets stood right. If only it could, could have said like that. If only it could have said, they came unto him as he was teaching and they said, we have found you, the Genesis 3.15 seed of the woman that's gonna crush the head of the serpent, the Satan. If only it could have write, be written and it said, they came unto him as he was teaching and said, we have found you, the Genesis 49.10, Shiloh, to whom all the people of God are gonna gather around. Just could have said that. They came unto him as he was teaching and they said, we found you the Isaiah 714, Emmanuel born of a virgin. If it could have said they came unto him as he was teaching and they said, we found you the Isaiah 9-6, child born, son given, whose name is the mighty God. If it could, just could have been written where it says they came unto him as he was teaching and he said, we found you the Isaiah 53, righteous servant who will be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, who will heal us with your wounds and who the Lord is gonna lay on you the iniquity of us all. But just could have read like that. If it just could have read like they came unto him as he was teaching and they said, we found you the Micah 5, 2, eternal ruler of Israel that's born in Bethlehem. If it just could have said something like, we found him, it was teaching it, and they said, we found him, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Any of those things, 
the history would have been so different if the ones who should have said those things because they were the chief priests, they were the elders of the people, the people were relying on them to tell them he is the Messiah, he is God. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.